open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus 4. We have one more sermon at the burning bush after tonight. But this one deals with the signs that God gave to Moses. Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the second sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Let's pray. Father, help us to take your word for it. We ask your forgiveness for wanting extra signs, extra confirmation. Prove it, God. We've said that. Lord, forgive us. Help us to trust you. Thank you for your patience with Moses and the signs you gave him and the lesson you taught him. The proof that you really did come to him in the backside of the desert at Horeb, the mountain of God. Meet with us here, we pray. Open our hearts to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We tend to form a general impression that the Bible is stuffed full of miracles. That people in Bible times walked around and on a daily basis encountered angels, saw visions, witnessed God doing things that transcended the order of nature. But a careful reading of the Bible indicates that that's not the case at all. Miracles were exceptional in Bible times close to as exceptional as they are today. Aside from conversations with God, which are obviously miraculous in nature or supernatural in nature, aside from conversations with God, virtually all the miracles in Scripture are limited to three periods of time. Moses and the Exodus era, Elijah and Elisha and the era of their conquest or contest with Baalism, in the worship of God, which was some 600 years after the time of the Exodus, and then another 800 years after that, the time of Christ and the apostles in the early church. 
Now, obviously, most of the Bible deals with those eras. And so we get the impression that supernatural things happened all the time to these people. But when you recognize that God appeared to Abraham and spoke to him perhaps three or four times across a 167-year lifespan, you come to the conclusion, wait, miracles are not as frequent as I might have thought. Now, it's not to say that there are no miracles in the Bible. There are. And we're going to talk about the first of them tonight. A miracle in the sense of a sign performed by a human being that transcends the order of nature has not yet taken place in the pages of Scripture. It doesn't happen in Genesis. God rains fire and sulfur out of heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. God blinds the Sodomites. But other than that, we haven't seen major supernatural events in world history. Until, here in Exodus 4, God condescends to give Moses a sign. Three signs. And these signs show that God really spoke to Moses. And they also show, miracles in general show, that God is saving the world and turning it into a new creation through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Moses, once again, we've seen this, how he poses five objections. This is his third objection. My favorite, as I mentioned last time, that what if they don't objection? What if they don't listen? Remember, God says in chapter 3, verse 18, the elders will listen to you. Moses says, fine, what if Joe Israelite won't listen to me? Elders will listen. Okay, I take your promise for that, but most of the people are not elders. What if they won't listen? So God responds with three signs. Most of us have probably experienced the frustration of watching politicians try to answer questions in a debate, seeing that politicians refuse to answer questions. Give me power, I won't talk to you. But God doesn't have that problem. God answers the question. And not just the letter of the question, but the spirit of the question. Moses is worried that they won't believe. God says, here's signs that will help them believe. Moses wanted reassurance and God gives it to him. The Lord said to him, by way of answering the question, God asks another question. What's that in your hand? Moses is carrying the tool of his trade, a shepherd's staff. And God uses that. Two other things that Moses keeps around him to show miraculous power. Now, before we look at these miracles in detail, let's talk about miracles in general. I said a moment ago that a miracle is a sign that transcends the order of nature performed by a human agent on God's behalf. Now, many effects 
wrought in this world. Was it Arthur C. Clarke? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And so it would seem. Yet, technological marvels, miracles wrought within the order of nature are not miracles at all. If I have discovered and figured out how to capitalize upon some power latent within nature, I'm not doing miracles. I am doing science. Science or technology simply uses the latent capacities within nature. Many of the things that we enjoy, such as devices that can transmit our image and our voice in real time anywhere in the world, would be considered miraculous, even perhaps by our parents or grandparents. But they're not. Not miraculous in the strict sense, because a miracle is not something done within the order of nature. Something that is altogether outside the order of nature. God performs it in the interest of the order of grace. Now, these miracles, first one, Moses' staff turning into a snake, wood doesn't become a living serpent. That is not a power latent within wooden objects. Can't happen. God can take a wooden staff and turn it into a snake, transcending the order of nature. Thus, one commentator calls chapters 4 to 11 of Exodus the great school of the power of God. As God does miracle after miracle after miracle, constantly transcending the order of nature and showing the Egyptians I made this, I sustained this, and I can overrule this at any moment. God has power to create swarms of frogs, swarms of flies, darkness. And therefore God has power to decreate, to unravel Egypt's fabric and send it back into the waste and void and darkness on the face of the deep. So lesson Pharaoh refuses to learn. Even when his son dies, his heart is hardened. But God does these miracles to offer salvation to his people. And simultaneously, he offers salvation to Egypt. Pharaoh, listen. Believe. Obey me. Take cover under the blood. By and large, the Egyptians refuse that offered salvation. But that does not negate the fact that as God teaches his power, his ability to create and decreate, the Egyptians have a front row seat and the opportunity to turn and trust this God who has power over the order of nature. The miracles culminate here in Exodus. We have the ten plagues that lead up to the final miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea. And this miracle is so tremendous, people don't like to believe it. The Gulf of Aqaba opened up 
Two million people walked across dry shod. Yeah, I believe that. People find it absurd. It's a violation of the order of nature. Of course it is. That is the whole point. God, by the strong east wind, opens the ocean and brings them across. And so this Red Sea crossing is remembered over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, cited repeatedly, as we saw in Deuteronomy, as we see many times in the Psalms, as we see in the prayers of God's people later on in Old Testament history. This is the greatest of God's Old Testament miracles. Opening the sea, getting victory over the waters of chaos, and thereby saving his people. Psalm 106, for example. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. An example of Israel's memory of this greatest of the Old Testament miracles. The crossing of the Red Sea stands at the beginning of Israel's communal life, just as the resurrection of Christ stands at the beginning of the church's communal life. The resurrection is the miraculous first fruits of the new creation. The sign that God is going to transform the entire world as well as his people. We've talked about this ordinary cycle of birth, death, new generation being born. That's how fallen nature progresses. The resurrection comes in and overturns that cycle. Instead of a new generation being born, the same individual who died rises again, never to die anymore. And thus the resurrection of Christ stands as the greatest of the miracles. Miracles are not sent to entertain bored people. They're sent to vindicate God. To show that he really does have power over the world and over his people. Their overrulings, as I said, of the order of nature for the sake of the order of grace and thus point ahead of themselves to the time when death will be swallowed up in victory. And nature as we know it will come into its own in the age to come. God does these miracles and he tells Moses in verse 5 that the point, the great lesson of these miracles is that they may believe that Yahweh, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The point of these three miracles given to Moses is to show, I really talk to God. You doubt that I talk to God? Watch this. What is a miracle? Something that only God can do. It's not working within the order of nature. It's working outside the order of nature. Moses is equipped with these signs to say, I really talk to God. You should listen to me and follow me out of Egypt. That's the great lesson. That's what the text tells us is the most important function of these three miracles. But what are the other lessons provided by these miracles? 
Well, the first lesson is that obedience to the word of God grants power over serpents. Moses is carrying the tool of his trade. Right? You might wear a stethoscope in one profession, a tape measure in another, a robe, or a pair of blue coveralls. You might have a wrench in your pocket, or a theodolite and some of these other surveying tools in a case that you carry around. Moses carries a stick with the crook on the end to grab an animal by the neck, a shepherd's staff. That's his tool. That's what's in his hand as he speaks to God. And God sees the staff and tells him, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a deadly snake, one that he recognizes as terrifying. My cousin and I were walking barefoot in the Central Valley of California about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, down a road, a little paved road out in the middle of nowhere. We're just walking along, and suddenly he jumps backwards about three feet. And I look down, and there's a rattlesnake slithering across the road right in front of us, at which point I proceeded to to do execute the same reverse long jump that he had just performed. Well, that's exactly what Moses did. He lets go of his staff, and as it falls on the ground, it becomes the kind of serpent that he doesn't want to mess with. Then God says, sometimes God has complete senior moments, as we would think of them. What, Lord? You want me to do what? If you grab a snake by the tail, what can the snake do? Quick as lightning, any snake you grab by the tail has its entire body to play with. And what it's going to do is whip around and sink its fangs right in your leg. Moses lived in Africa. Moses knew this about poisonous snakes. He had only spent the last 40 years in the wilderness Presumably, we can say that grabbing this snake by the tail in obedience to the word of God was the bravest thing Moses ever did. Because it appears to be a certain death sentence. What's the point? God is saying, if you obey me, you have power over the snake. Conventional wisdom says, pin the snake right behind the head. You're going to grab it, grab it by the neck where it doesn't have any room to reach and can't reach around and sink its fangs in you. I don't care if the tail whacks me in the face. I'm afraid of the fangs. God defies the conventional wisdom in order to tell Moses the point is listen to me. Do what I say rather than what you believe to be a good idea. Obedience to the word is what grants power over the serpent. Why is it important to have power over the serpent? Well, uh, we're all familiar with the iconography of the ancient Egyptians. 
Pharaoh wore that blue circle on his head. And on the front and center of the circle was what? This little coiled up king cobra with its head thrust forward, mouth open, fangs bared. That's what Pharaoh wore on his head. It's a little bit like an American dissident being given the power to clip the wings of a bald eagle. You don't need an advanced degree in interpreting symbols to understand what the sign is communicating. Moses, you have Pharaoh by the tail. Pharaoh claims to be Lord of the Cobra. You have power over Pharaoh. Pharaoh stands for the serpent. I, God Almighty, control the serpent. And when you obey me, you too will have power over the serpent. Standing behind Pharaoh with his serpent headdress is the snake. The old serpent who's called the devil and Satan. Variously features in the Bible as a snake or as a dragon. Once again, the point of the miracle is to teach Moses If you obey God, you have power over the devil. Resist him, and he will flee from you. It's the lesson God taught Moses. Again, are you looking for power over sin? Are you looking for power to tell temptation to go away? The only place to find it is in obedience. If Moses had refused to grab the snake by the tail, his staff would have slithered away and that would have been the end of that miracle. The power is for the one who submits to God. Well, the second miracle, very puzzling. God strikes Moses' hand with leprosy and his hand turns dead white. And then he puts his hand back and it's fixed becomes just like it was. What is the point of this miracle? God is saying to Moses, you are way more unqualified than you ever thought possible. You thought your objections are skin deep. I have a speaking impediment. I'm not a very good candidate. But God says to him, Moses, you are rotten at a fundamental level. You are far more unclean than you know. But it doesn't matter because I, the Lord, heal uncleanness. God doesn't show Moses his heart. He shows him his hand. But by showing the hand, he's saying, you're rotten. In your heart of hearts lies a disease that will destroy you, will rot away your flesh just like leprosy does. But it's okay because I cleanse. Are you sensitive to this about yourself? Do you know the plague of your own heart? It's easy to stick to the surface level objections. It's harder to admit No, my problems go all the way to the bone. 
yet God will heal them when I call on him. Well, the final miracle is to take Nile water, pour it out, and watch it become blood. This miracle, even more clearly than the first one, signifies God's power over Egypt. Because Egypt, as Herodotus would later call it, is the gift of the Nile. Even today, you can look at the map of Egypt, and all the major cities are parked right along the edge of that river. You go very far from the river, and there's nothing there. God says, you live by Nile water. This is your life. I can take it and make it death. Pharaoh, I have power over your river because it's actually my river. So God shows Moses power over serpents. He shows him his own uncleanness. He shows him God's power over the life of Egypt in these miracles. And yet, the really baffling thing, God speaks in terms of hypotheticals. Verse 8. If they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, then they may believe the message of the second sign. And it shall be if they do not believe. Surely Moses is saying, God, why are you speaking in hypotheticals? Don't you know whether they'll believe? If they will, then say they will. And if they won't, give me some better signs. God doesn't do that. Not even miracles can force belief. A sign that obviously transcends the order of nature, like turning dead wood into living snake, is something that the magicians of Egypt also do by their secret arts. They don't serve Jehovah. Yahweh, who's that? We serve the Egyptian gods. Moses, your signs are pathetic. The Egyptian magicians can also turn water into blood. As Moses later finds out, God doesn't promise success. He doesn't say, I will give you the power to do miracles that will make everyone convinced that you are the real deal. Not even Jesus had that or did that. A lot of people enjoyed his miracles. A lot of them ate the food that he miraculously made and then walked away and didn't believe in him anymore. Miracles are not the solution. Miracles do not compel belief. God is showing himself to Moses. He's saying, I'll give you signs to help the Israelites believe. In the event, of course, the book records that they sometimes believe and then they struggle with their faith and then they believe a little more and then they struggle with their faith. Kind of a lot like us. But at the end of the day, it requires faith. didn't require faith to believe that Pharaoh was a threat. Didn't require faith to believe that if you didn't get up and do your work making bricks, 
you would suffer for it. And it does require faith to believe that God spoke to Moses at a burning bush and that God is going to deliver you out of Egyptian bondage. As Pascal said, there is enough darkness for those who don't want to see and enough light for those who do. So how does Moses come out of this conversation? Do we read this and say, Ah, Moses, what a knowing fellow. You really backed God into a corner with that objection. That was pretty smart, the way you got God to give you miracles. Right, as you read the five objections in a row that Moses had, our overwhelming impression is, Moses, stop it. Just believe God already. God's bare word should have been enough for Moses. And God's bare word should be enough for us. Easy to say. Easy even to know. Yes, there is nothing more trustworthy than the word of God. Oh, but hard indeed to actually take his word for it. Moses knew that about his people. Lord, they won't want to just take your word for it. Give me a sign. And we hear it today. In the words of the church growth gurus, all you have is the Bible? What about the coffee? What about the lights? What about the hip clothing? And the cool atmosphere? We hear it in the objections of our own hearts. God, I have been at church all this time serving you and I haven't seen any change. In fact, things have gotten worse in this or that area that really matters to me. My marriage is worse. My health is worse. My finances are worse. If you were really there, why don't you help me out here? Would it have spoiled some vast eternal plan if you addressed my felt need? It's a question that we ask. God, though, does the miracles on his own terms. He offers helps to faith on his own terms. And if we're not satisfied with the ones that he offers... That's too bad. That's all we're going to get. God did miracles so that we would believe. These miracles are recorded in Scripture by eyewitnesses. They vindicate God and reveal our need for salvation. Don't turn away from these miracles. Accept them as signs in the order of grace intended to turn our heart toward believing in God's salvation. Let's pray. Father, help us. We want certainty. We're tired of faith. Lord, give us the strength to continue to trust you, to keep believing in your promises.
to know for certain that what you have said is true and reliable. Thank you for the miracles that you gave Moses. Thank you that you answered his question and reassured him. Father, continue to deal tenderly and mercifully with us. Help us to trust you no matter what. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.